for Henley's new main view collection. All the luxuries and now seven-star energy efficiency. And halal home loans and investments with Hijaz. Australia versus Pakistan on SEN Test Cricket. Well, the end of a quite memorable and extraordinary Jay McGrath day here at the SCG. Day three of the New Year's Test. Adam Collins and Brett Sunder Race and SEN Test Cricket for Host Plus at Stumps. And goodness me, 11 for 78 in the final session. Australia losing their last five wickets for 10 runs either side of T. Four wickets in nine balls, I think it was from Amir Jamal to finish with six for 69. Then Australia go bang, bang at the start. Stark knocks over Shafiq for a duck, bagging a pair. Hazelwood picks up Shah Massoud first ball. They put on a bit of a partnership before a triple wicket maiden from Josh Hazelwood. They close the day as I turn the page on my notebook at seven for 68. A lead of 82 Pakistan, but boy oh boy, it's hard to believe how they managed to collapse so spectacularly after T, having gotten themselves into a position where they could control the test match, Barat. Yeah, I mean, like, it feels like we moved to some other place on another pitch. Let's go back to how this play started today. The first one and a half hours, Steve Smith and Manas Labashain uh, got their eye in. Uh, scoring was slow, but they faced five or six Merino was on the trot. And just when it looked like they were about to break free, that partnership was broken. Pakistan went bang, bang, just before the lunch break. Uh, but then the pitch started deteriorating. But I wouldn't put too much emphasis on what the role that the pitch played today. It was just bizarre cricket after a point. Alex Carey gets out of the last ball before the tea break yep. and then like you said Amir Jamal runs through Australia's lower order uh, but even though Pakistan lost those two wickets uh, Shan Masood to a terrible shot after, at the end of what has been a pretty decent series for him with the bat uh, Sayam Ayub impressed all of us Babar Azam looked to be getting his touch and if anything at, at that point having gone ahead in this game, Pakistan, or for the first time in this test series, Pakistan were on top. Babar Azam looked in control. Sayam Ayub looked mm. in control. And when we saw Travis Head come into ball, we were like, ooh, okay, Australia looking at options that they would not have considered. And then, well, as uh, you just... Uh, um, summed it up. It's a bit deflating, isn't it? Mm. It's a deflating feeling. We thought we we're heading to a really close test. We might still get there, but just a, a lead of 82 and just the way the day has collapsed, I'm not sure whether Pakistan can lift themselves up. But having said that, that man Amir Jamal is out there. <laughs> so much of that drama is in the final half an hour as well. With about 35 minutes of play to go, Saima, you batting quite nicely with Barbara Azam and always feeling broadly right in the world with Pakistan after losing two wickets off the top. But when that partnership was broken by Nathan Lyon, a lovely piece of drift to the young man on debut, past the inside edge, given out leg before. Barbara Azam, a poor shot, uh, edging Travis Head, the part-timer caught behind. They fell in consecutive overs. Then Shaquille, Sajid and Salman all falling in one Hazelwood over. That includes the night watchman. Mm. Rizwan down the other end watching all of that carnage. You're right, it, deflating is one word. I mean, Pakistan having a 14-run first innings lead, giving themselves a chance to win in Australia a test match for the first time since 1995, largely because of Amir Jamal. That's Six wicket haul. It's the seventh best figures ever for Pakistan in Australia. Four of them in seven deliveries just after tea. It did feel like something special might be brewing, but now they'll have to do much as they did in the first innings. The tail is going to have to wag mightily well to set Australia anything vaguely credible. Yeah, it, not at this point on, you're kind of clutching at straws and hoping that this partnership, the Rizwan Amir Jamal partnership, uh, gets 50, 60, 70 runs more, uh, and then one of them stays out there and starts swinging the bat around. If they can get anywhere close to 200, this pitch is deteriorating, yep. uh, having blamed some of the batters. And some of the shots are pretty 
terrible. Shan Masood I spoke yeah. about. Babar Azam, all right, Travis Head has taken a few key wickets, but this was just an out uh, ball outside off stump, kind of drifting away. It's a loose drive outside off stump, gets caught behind. And Saad Shakil came here with an average of 80, had never uh, scored single digits or never had a single digit score in his career. His batting just gone woof, and that was a terrible shot. He just looked all at sea against Travis Head, and he, he looked like a walking wicket at one point. And he exposes the lower order. Aga Salman, who's been impressive throughout the series, maybe not expecting to come out to bat. He looked a little like a rabbit in front of headlights. Uh, he gets out in that over from Josh Hazelwood. But I still feel if somehow Pakistan can muster up 70, 80 more runs, maybe put uh, or give Australia a target of 180, uh, who knows? With those two spinners, their two spinners getting uh, into some good rhythm as well, maybe they can match, make a match of it. But at the moment, it looks like uh, it'll go the way we expect it to go. They'll get wrapped up and Australia will chase it down with David Warner raising his bat. <laughs> yeah, so much of this is the majesty of this Australian bowling group. Mentioned Lions wicket already, but Hazelwood getting Shah Masood, yes, loose shot, but having the ball in that channel right away, picking up a wicket with his second ball again. Then at the end, exerting that pressure, turning the screws after losing two wickets to spin. We've barely touched on Stark as yet. That ball to Abdullah Shafiq gets a... A duck in the first innings to a loose, loose shot well wide of the off stump. There's really nothing he could have done to that. It broke back so far through the gate, hitting the top of off stump. It was perfection from Stark, akin to the ball that he bowled to take his 300th wicket back in December 2022 against South Africa. Similar kind of trajectory, a piece of utter brilliance, which got Australia going again after losing those four wickets. And, you know, Cummins hasn't played a role yet, but we know how quickly he can turn a test and how important he's been of late. So only three wickets to go for Australia. Going back to a, a more sedate start to the day, Stephen Smith and Labuschagne, the latter making a half century, the former falling in the 30s. His dismissal was poor. It was mm. a, a, a plan from Pakistan to put a third catching cover in. And next ball, Smith gives a catch right there. Labuschagne's bowled from a beautiful delivery from Solomon, who's been so impressive with the ball. So there were moments where it could have gone either way, make no mistake. Mitch Marsh, in the middle of all of this, makes an important half century when it looked like Australia might be wobbling. So they were still well behind when Travis Head was trapped league before, just after the luncheon interval. So a real topsy-turvy kind of day. But Barat, as you say, it feels like the result is going one way. But nevertheless, make sure you follow every single ball tomorrow. Last thought from you. Yeah, all I'll say is you, we are very good at coming up with hashtags. This is not a hashtag, but in Amir Jamal, we believe. <laughs> Maybe there is some magic left in Amir Jamal and in this test match. If he can get going again tomorrow the way he did on evening one, I suppose anything is possible. Our post-game show for Host Plus will talk to you tomorrow and when they resume, Pakistan will be reeling at 7 for 68. Hams of bowls to Labashan. Clips off his pads through mid-wickets. That was a crisp shot and it will go all the way to the boundary for four. Again to Smith, who drives through cover. An attacking moment from Steve Smith, fluently to the boundary for four. Delivers to Labashane, driving through cover for the second time in the over, bisecting the two fielders, and this time it has enough juice to get to the boundary rope. Delivers short ball, pulled towards mid-wicket, had one man to beat, out towards the ropes, the second man beats him as well. Mia Hamza is uh, going to set sail for Mitch Mar Have you fancy calling a ball, Prime Minister? Oh, OK. He can't. Hamza are on to bowling to Mitch Marsh. Marsh is just forward, leans on it, goes out to third man or the point boundary for a single. Travis heads on naught after 12 balls. That's something that wouldn't be called very often. But I, I, I'm going to stay for one more ball and he will, he will do something big here. 
Okay, you're calling. I'm calling it. I've, I've got a little maybe uh, voice in his ear. Prime Minister, you're doing ball by ball and special comments at the same time. <laughs> well, mate, I, I, I couldn't play cricket, so <laughs> I've got to make a You've contribution. Watched I've watched a lot. <laughs> Hamza, left arm over the wicket to head, and head is off the mark. There you go. He didn't let me down. Thanks, Travis. Labashane pulls. He got it forward of square. That's where the gap is. And he got it forcefully enough to hit the boundary. And he's brought up a 50 in the process, Manus Labashane. Three covers. It's Freddie Truman's test match. On the square. Hamza bowls. He does cover drive, and he's caught. Fell straight into the trap. Bubba takes the catch. That's embarrassing. Steve Smith. Labashane. Ford is bold. Salman's got Manus Labashane. And the two established batters have been removed. Bang, bang. Four for 187 as the game takes a big change. Comes it to Carey to finish. And Carey drives through the offside. One of the shots of the day. A classical cover drive. Bowls here. Marsh. Booming drive. Out through cover. Doesn't need a run for that. Marsh pulls, not in control. It flies off the top edge, down near the sight screen. Marsh is going to raise his bat for the fourth time in five innings. He has been Australia's most important batter. Oh, he's got him. He's bowled him. Sajid Khan strikes. Carey's gone for 38. And the demons in this pitch are there when the spinners get it right. Deep backward point for head as well. Delivers here around the wicket. Hits him on the pad. Shout for leg before it's given. Michael Goff's finger goes up. Is it missing leg stuff? That's the yeah. conversation he's having with Marsh, and he's sending it upstairs. Here's the projection. Two reds and a pies call. It is clipping the leg stump. Over the wicket, Salmon to Marsh. Cuts from the stumps for four. Opened up the offside and ploughed it away through cover. Hamza tries for something better. He lands the Yorker and it's driven by Marsh straight down the ground. And at the sight screen, it'll touch the rope now. Jamal hits the crease and Marsh drives on the up straight to mid-off. He's out. Shan Masood takes the catch. Jamal bowls to, oh, full bunger. Onto the pads. They're asking, they're pleading, they're demanding. They're turned away. Standing by for ball tracker, Michael. They're building it. Ball pitching, impact in line, sorry, and wickets hitting. Pat Cummins is out for a duck. He bowls full edge. Oh, didn't carry the galley or did it? It's been claimed by Shaquille. Jamal is celebrating a five-wicket haul. Hazelwood cuts and he's caught at second slip. Jamal's got six. Pakistan with a lead. A bowl Australia out for 299. Stark to finish the first over. He knocks him over. Comprehensive. Through the gate. Bends back the off stump. Shafiq bags a pair. Starks in the book right away again. Here he is bowling to Shah Massoud. His first ball caught behind. Shah Massoud wafted it outside the line of the off stump. And for the second time in the test match, Hazelwood gets a wicket second ball. Mitch Stark remains in the attack. Saeem Ayub is in strong strike and he cuts ferociously. Got right underneath it. Set it out to points. And it will be signalled, I think, as six. Woo.
Line up to him after passing umpire Goff. Hard spawn off break shout for leg before given. Lyre beat him in flight. The drift back towards the left hander. Didn't get far enough forward. Nathan Line in the book. Travis Head is bowling. He's got through him and bowled him. Travis Head has a happy knack. Baba on the drive, inside edge into the keeper's glove. Hazelwood begins to Shaquille, who edges and he's caught to slip. Terrible stuff from Shaquille. Brilliant change from Australia. Hazelwood strikes the safe hands of Steve Smith. I have, I'm Jane McGrath's husband when it comes to this <laughs> test match. So he's bold. Hazelwood's gone right through him. The night watchman only lasted two balls. And the route is suddenly on. Ben McGrath, he's seen Josh Hazelwood take two wickets in the over. He's bowling to Salmon. Edging it, he's out as well. <laughs> Warner takes the catch. Hazelwood has wrought havoc. Three in the over. And Australia will sleep soundly tonight after a day that offered plenty of uncertainty. We pick up our conversations with Todd Greenberg, the Chief Executive of the Australian Cricketers Association. Todd, welcome back to SEN Test Cricket. Good morning and Happy New Year to you, Jared. Before we go really deep, what, what do you know about the return of Dave Warner's caps? Well, I spoke to him about uh, 20 minutes ago. It's fair to say he's uh, pretty pleased and I think in some respects pretty relieved that he'll get to wear it one last time. So uh, I didn't get into how or where or when or who or any of that sort of stuff, but I was pleased that he got it back. It's, uh, it's the right outcome. Were you a bit pessimistic on that front? Yeah, I certainly wasn't laying awake at night um, thinking that it's going to come back, that's for sure. I thought it was maybe gone. But, uh, yeah, these things have a funny way of evening themselves out. So, look, it's it's nice. Um, he'll be out in the field again, no doubt, in this test match. So he'll get to wear it one last time, which, you know, is a fitting end for him in his 112th test match. So I was really pleased. Uh, and he was equally pleased, as I said, probably relieved and pleased all the same time. The events of yesterday, 45 minutes lost to bad lights. Is there a need for Test cricket to get out of the dark ages and help itself at the moment, Todd? Yeah, I feel like we're in Groundhog Day. I had this conversation, I think, with you and many others this time last year. And, um, you know, no one loves the history and tradition of Test match cricket more than me and and many others who are at the ground. But we also need to understand what business we're in. Uh, You and I have had this conversation before. We are in the entertainment business and... Geez, if we can put a man on the moon, um, surely we can find a way to get ourselves out on a field with lights and figure out some sort of technology that will assist us both keep the players safe, uh, ensure the battle continues in a fair and even contest, but also make sure that play continues. Um, you know, it just seems it seems like we're not moving with some of the challenges that we're facing. So, so who needs to do that, Todd? Is there, there's an inescapable sense that 12 months on and one day we had the exact same circumstance and no one had done anything for whatever sabre rattling was done no one had done anything to improve test cricket's possibilities yep i think that's right um there's a lot of people looking at each other um the way i'm told is the icc is not so much a global governing body but a, a variety of different member nations so those member nations need to get together with the icc and find a way to ensure that these things don't continue to happen. Now, clearly, you can't play in the dark, but uh, I was sitting there yesterday, as were you and many others, and surely there was a way. There must be a way if we get ourselves together. And I say everyone, I mean, the players are part of this. We've got to come together as well, and we've got to find some way 
to ensure that we're back on the field. Um, I can't think of another sport that will do this consistently, just walk off when the light's not good. Now, uh, again, there are a variety of challenges, so I'm not suggesting it's easy, but we need to take some ownership. Um, This is our sport, and we're the custodians of the sport. For good or bad, we've got to make sure we leave it in better shape, and we can't leave the sport with this challenge still sitting there open with, with no solution. Are the players cognizant of that big picture, Todd, or, or are there moments where they're too precious to their individual circumstance? Oh, there's no doubt that we've got a part to play in this as well. Uh, and, and that's a big part of my job, is to bring the players along that journey as well and to, you know, educate them and inform them and, you know, have some maybe some difficult or some confronting conversations. That, that's got to be part of it. Um, and and I'm, I'm up for that challenge. Um, you know, I've had many of those conversations already with players. Um, and, you know, what I've found with player conversations about things that are about change or about disruption is you've got to tell them the reasons why, you've got to explain it to them, and then you've got to explain to them how the solutions are found. And if you bring them to the table and you get them as part of both the consultation and decision-making process, you usually can solve just about anything. And I have no doubt we could do that. Uh, but as you've you know rightly articulated, whose role is it? Who's going to take ownership of it? Um, and how do we fix it? Um, I'm, I'm pretty keen to make sure that we're not sitting here this time in 12 months' time having the same conversation. Uh, Todd, Adam Collins here. You mentioned the technology piece to this. I mean, effectively, we've got that technology via the, the pink ball playing under lights when we have day-night test cricket. The players who've been asked about this in the last, uh, well, last 16 to 24 hours have been pretty reluctant to weigh in and have said they're happy to keep things as they are. But given we have got that option potentially at our disposal, might that be a practical step in the right direction? Yeah, it, it might be. Uh, and there might be something else. There might be people smarter than the three of us on this phone call trying to figure out what might be next. But, you know, I was sitting um, at the back of the stand yesterday and I heard a 10-year-old boy sitting talking to his father and, you know, he's talking about the fact that he was at a BBL and they were playing at night only a couple of days before that and he couldn't figure out why they weren't watching cricket because the lights were on. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have to look through that lens of the fans and try to understand... You know, they're the people who pay the bills. They're the people that come through the turnstiles and they're the people that turned up yesterday and they're the people that were shortchanged yesterday. So, again, I'm not suggesting that it's it's as simple as pulling a pink ball out and I've seen, you know, a lot of players' comments. Um, equally, I've seen former players who potentially, when they were playing, would have been the same comments as our current players, but as former players, have, have got probably a broader perspective now. So, um, all of that is in the mix, but... Your question still remains, whose role is it, whose responsibility is it, how do we get there? The South African decision that was taken around the squad that's going to New Zealand and the prioritising of the domestic T20 competition, uh, a wake-up call was how Nick Hockley described it yesterday. What's your view and what do you think the implications are? Well, I'm not sure if it's a wake-up call. I'm actually surprised that people... um, are surprised about it because this has been coming for quite a while. Um, you and I have had this conversation, I think, over the last 24 months. Um, uh, you know, the implications have been there for all to see over the last couple of years. So this has been coming and and has been brewing for quite a time. So, you know, my, my view on this is global cricket does not have a revenue problem, but we do have a distribution problem. And maybe to put it more bluntly, you know, global cricket has a prioritisation problem that relates to the distributions that it makes. The revenue in global cricket is growing. Broadcast rights have never been more profitable than at any other time in, in the game's history. So the question really becomes, how can we ensure the distributions of the revenues are more equitable and ensure that those countries who are committed to test cricket 
uh, and the ongoing rules and regulations of the ICC are better rewarded and remunerated. Um, I think that's the answer. Um, and, you know, it's not so much that we don't have the money, it's that the money's currently not being distributed in a way that protects the asset, which is Red Bull cricket. So if it is a, a wake-up call or indeed a turning point in this conversation, you're talking about distribution there. Well, well Mike Baird's been talking about redistribution and collective responsibility and comments in the paper overnight. Mike Baird is a relatively new administrator, became the chairman of Cricket Australia last year. We're into brass tacks now, I think, aren't we, Todd, with talking about potentially uh, the old big three, India, Australia and England, helping subsidise poorer countries. That'll have an effect on the players as well. It's your revenue stream as well. You share in that revenue. What, What's your instinct when you hear comments like that from Mike Baird? Yeah, and, and look, Mike and I have had those conversations, and, and he's right. Um, you know, it, the game's bigger than just what they would call the big three, and um, those that sit around that table have an enormous responsibility to ensure that those other nations are remunerated and protected so that the broader game is also protected. And also, you know, not completely altruistic here, our, our biggest revenue driver in this country still remains Red Bull cricket through broadcast rights. So... We've got to make sure that we protect that as well. Um, so his comments are right. Uh, they're not easy, though, clearly around that table where there's a variety of different uh, agendas and people will look to you know, self-interest at, at, all, at all turns. But we do have to think more broadly. Now, I've been saying this for the best part of a couple of years now, that if we continue to stay on the same path, we are going to end up with the tours that we are seeing now with South Africa and others where Red Bull cricket is being deprioritised. And... I don't want to be in a sport that has that for Red Bull cricket. We've got to make sure that we protect it. Do you detect there is a bit of a shift with Nick Hockley and Mike Baird in, in the way they're approaching this problem compared to perhaps some of their predecessors? Oh, definitely. Uh, definitely. I think Mike has, um, has brought real leadership uh, on behalf of our country to the ICC table. Um, and, you know, it'll be important that we follow through on some of those uh, statements and make sure our voice is, is heard because it's really important. As I said... There's not a lack of revenue in the game. Um, it's about the prioritisation of where that revenue goes. Um, and, you know, you can't fault those players in other countries for changing their priorities because any of us in any vocation will follow where the money is paid. Um, and, and I think any person rightfully listening to this conversation would agree in their profession of choice, they'll do the same thing. And players will equally do the same thing. But we can also assist them by making sure that those countries are rewarded for their players to play test cricket, which currently is not the case. So on the trajectory that we're currently mapping, Todd, is in 12 years, 15 years, 20 years' time, how many nations do you think will be playing test cricket? Well, I'm hopeful that we can retain, you know, the 8 to 10 uh, concept of, of test cricket. But at the moment, if we don't make changes, that will be fanciful. Um, we can't continue to do what we're currently doing today. And if we do, we will end up with literally the big three. It'll be India and England and Australia. And those series are great. But that will ensure that the scarcity of test cricket uh, remains amongst those three countries. And the rest will simply be playing white ball cricket because they will, they will turn around and say, we can't afford to play red ball cricket. Well, we can ensure that we can help them afford to play it. And that's, that's the message I'm, I'm trying to portray here is there is an answer for those countries to be financially assisted or remunerated through the distributions of the game. Um, but that's, that can be an uncomfortable conversation uh, because, you know, when you sit around the table, everybody thinks of their own interest. And, and Mike was right to call it out yesterday to say, actually, you know what, we've got part of the solution here. We've got to be grown-ups 
and we've got to make some decisions in the best interest of cricket, and we're up for that conversation as well. Realistically, how much of that swings on India's willingness to engage in that conversation? Yeah, I, I think we're all realists and understand that, you know, they've got the biggest seat at that table. Uh, they've also got the biggest distribution. So um, clearly they're an important player. Um, and I'd like to think that they would equally have the same level of affection for red ball cricket and also ensure that they look through the prism of 10 years' time and understand that they'll want to make sure their nation's playing against other countries other than England and Australia as well for the battle for, for Test match cricket. Um, and that's really important. Those conversations, I'm sure, are underway. It sounded to me like Mike had already opened those conversations, but it sounds like if they haven't been fast-tracked, that they will be. Was a one-and-a-bit day test in South Africa bad for the format? Yeah, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't augur well for a five-day test when it's over like that. Um, I saw some of the highlights. There were some uh, incredible dismissals. But, yeah, it, um, it, it doesn't. It, it's, it's not what Test Cricket's about. Test Cricket is about the battle, uh, and it is about the ebbs and flows. As you two gentlemen know, you've watched more of it than most. Um, and, and that's what the unique nature of Test Cricket is. It's a test. It's a test of someone's skill, of stamina, of concentration, um, and their resilience. Um, I don't see a lot of that happening in a day and a half. No. Todd, good to catch up. Uh, enjoy the rest of the Sydney Test. Gents, nice to chat to you, and uh, thanks for the, having me on the program. Appreciate it. Cheers.